Welcome to the VVV Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another AMA. Today with Exocore, let me introduce our today's guest, the CEO of Exogenius, the company behind the new Omnichain restaking platform, Exocore. Welcome, Warren Paul Anderson. Hi, Warren. How are you? Hello, I'm, do I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Thank you very much for your time, for joining in. Um, we are yeah, very, very excited yeah, to host you today to learn more about uh, your new project, Exocore, because the entire restaking narrative yeah, took off recently with Eigenlayer, and I think there is a lot of attention in the market. And uh, yeah, our audience is curious to learn more about your uh, slightly different approach. And uh, before we dive into the project itself, um, maybe you could introduce yourself to the audience and give a little of your personal background in the web free space and uh, tell us maybe a little bit about the origin story of Exocore. Yeah, definitely. I'm uh, checking out the audience. I haven't seen this many sharks since uh, last time I was surfing in Oahu and Hawaii. So uh, <laughs> that's okay. I'm not afraid of sharks. Uh, so I'm, I'm very comfortable. Um, Good to see. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, it's great to be here. My name is Warren Paul Anderson. Um, just some background on me. You know, I've been in the crypto space full time now for uh, over 10 years. I hit my 10-year reunion uh, this spring. Um, and, uh, you know, it's really been awesome uh, kind of seeing the evolution of the industry uh, in, in, so, in so many forms. And I think this is my fourth uh, bear market. I actually started off as a Bitcoin miner back in 2011, uh, back when you can actually uh, win a block with the CPU power, which is almost hard to fathom now. Uh, but uh, that was just a hobby. You know, I've explained it before. It was like tending a garden. Sometimes the the uh, you know the garden dies and you replant, and sometimes uh, you, you get some fruit and uh, and you celebrate. Sometimes you eat the fruit. Sometimes the fruit dies. Uh, you know, you, you, the analogies are on, on, ongoing. But uh, I basically decided to parlay my uh, hobby as a Bitcoin miner into a full time career, kind of stake my career on the on the technology of, uh, you know, at that time, Bitcoin and, and blockchain kind of technology at large uh, back in like 2013, uh, when I started seeing, you know, market participants get more serious, uh, real entrepreneurs enter the space, uh, venture funding, uh, you know, people not just kind of hiding on, on forums, but actually real faces with real identities and real backgrounds, uh, you know, that inspired me. Uh, so I've been working in crypto ever since. Um, I started off, the first venture was called Hedgy, uh, and we were effectively the first OTC wholesale market for Bitcoin. So back then, uh, Bitcoin miners, they, uh, the only venue they had to sell their Bitcoin um, was exchanges. So there was no OTC market available for them, and that created a, a lot of volatility. I think there's a lot of volatility in the market today. Just imagine 
um, when you know Bitcoin had like less than five million dollars of daily average volume, and you had miners selling, uh, it would definitely uh, crush the order books. So we created a platform for uh, Bitcoin miners to basically direct sell to institutional investors. Uh, we built the platform on Bitcoin script and uh, used uh, hash time lock contracts and uh, multi-sig, uh, some of the multi-sig technology to do effectively atomic transactions between Bitcoin miners and these institutional investors. Um, institutional investors that back then were early hedge funds. There were some of the exchanges and, um, and, and venture capitalists that were kind of early in the game. Of, of buying Bitcoin, they loved buying Bitcoin direct from miners because it was a it was a good source. Uh, they could they could have larger ticket sizes. They didn't have to place a bunch of trades on an order book that was, you know, had had um, uptime issues and whatnot. So we operated that for a couple of years. Uh, ran into some regulatory headwinds in in the U.S. Uh, decided to. Uh, 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 basically uh, sell the technology to Wire, which is uh, now a payment you know, infrastructure company for crypto. Uh, they were doing a lot of uh, interesting things back then with uh, OTC markets um, to kind of bolster their payments business. And, uh, and at that point, uh, in the summer of 2016, I joined Ripple uh, to uh, lead crypto on their, on their product team. And back then, as a Bitcoiner, joining Ripple was kind of like boarding the Death Star. Um, it was a very contrarian uh, project that had a lot of different ideas on, on, uh, uh, on how a blockchain should be built, and uh, including you know, implementing a non-mining uh, uh, um, consensus mechanism that's more purely uh, practical, uh, uh, P PBFT or practical Byzantine fault tolerance, uh, which is pure cryptography based um, instead of actually, um, you know, using uh, proof of work mining. So I thought it was there was elegance there, and you, there was a lot of interesting trade offs like faster finality. Uh, it was deterministic, so you actually once the transaction was you know confirmed, you didn't have to worry about it. Um, you know. And the first time I sent a transaction on the XRP ledger, it was like settled in three seconds, which was insane. And I thought, wow, this this actually feels like sending email. Uh, this is maybe how it should be. And so I've kind of pursued that, worked on a lot of different protocols, uh, open protocols at Ripple. I also co-created their on-demand liquidity or ODL product, which is doing, it's one of their flagship products now. It's doing lots of revenue and uh, and, and, you know, uh, billions and billions of volume. Um, so I spent five years there, which was an eternity anywhere in tech, especially in crypto, um, but had a, had a great time, you know, developed some really great relationships, learned a lot. Uh, when I joined, there were 50 people at Ripple. When I left, there were about 650. Uh, so I saw a lot of scale. Um, you know, Ripple's a pretty well-run organization. So understanding... And being part of that growth, I think, is, is great as a, as a founder to really understand where to make key, key hires and how to scale. Um, so, you know, was, was able to, uh, to have a great uh, time there. Um, but after five years, I was definitely itching to do something different. Um, at the time, I was really thinking of, like, what are the key problems that 
that uh, are still not solved. And, you know, some one of the issues that I found was, you know, in working at Ripple with a lot of these, especially a lot of these banks, is the radical transparency of blockchains is, is actually um, a positive and a negative. Uh, it's, a, it's a positive in that, you know, it keeps people honest and accountable, but it's a negative in that you can see transaction uh, balances uh, and, and, and uh, history. Um, and that's difficult if you want to preserve privacy. So I thought the privacy problem was still very much an issue. Um, so I started exploring, you know, who was working on, on this problem and what technologies were they using. And I was familiar, very familiar with, you know, what Zcash had done implementing, you know, zero knowledge uh, on, on effectively a fork of Bitcoin. And, um, but also wanted to understand, you know, what some of the latest technology uh, around the zero knowledge was, was working on. And, and so I joined a project called Fendora um, as their VP of product to work on, uh, you know, implementing ZK for privacy as a layer one, but with a different turn <coughs> to effectively uh, make it programmable and, um, and basically uh, just a lot more useful. Uh, Zcash is a great technology, awesome network, but it's, you know, like Bitcoin, it's hard to use, hard to build on. Um, it's not pro really programmable. I think Zuko and the team teams there are, are, are making it in, uh, a little bit better, but at the time, you know, it's it's a little hardened. So w that was kind of our our focus. Um, so I worked on that for uh, two years. I had also built a lot of middleware, uh, including you know some of the uh, like a bridge implementation, a lot of Oracle infrastructure, uh, RPC infrastructure. Ran a ton of RPC infrastructure at Ripple as well. So this was a common theme, you know, in my progression in crypto is, is working on all this middleware. So um, after a right around two years, you know, working on the privacy um, tech with ZK, I was really itching to start something from scratch. And um, restaking has been something that I've been kind of tracking. I think I heard about it first at Stanford Blockchain Conference a couple of years back. And I kind of, I took a note, right? And I said, this is, you know, keep, keep this in mind. This is something that might be interesting. It solves an interesting problem, which is uh, these middleware services are not able to really effectively bootstrap their own decentralized security and trust uh, very easily or very, very um, cost efficiently. So um, this, is, this was a problem I knew was kind of unsolved and, and middleware it includes, you know, token bridges, um, messaging layers, Oracle networks, RPC infrastructure, modular components, which include VMs, consensus mechanisms, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the, the category of middleware is continuing to grow. And layer one blockchains actually don't secure uh, these middleware services. They're kind of left on their own. Uh, it's like a a growing archipelago of islands that just, you know, have to fend for themselves. And uh, while the sovereign kind of nation just progresses, uh, you know, or the blockchain. So I thought, you know, restaking could be very, very interesting from that perspective, because what it does is it extends and probably getting ahead of myself here, but it extends you know, the crypto economic security of layer one blockchains 
and um, to, to secure the, the middleware services. We can get into it a little bit, but I was basically inspired by, by this problem because I'd faced it so often as, as, a, as a builder in the space and knew this was something that could, that could help you know, solve a lot of issues. So, um, so that's basically why I'm doing what I am now. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much yeah, for the introduction. Yeah. It's very impressive. 10 years in Web3 is, is an eternity. <laughs> Not many people have that uh, experience and that background. So really, really great to hear your, your history and your background. Um, one thing uh, that stood out during our due diligence of, of uh, ExoCore was also the experience of the other co-founders. So maybe uh, could you also introduce them? Uh, I, th I think that's also quite interesting for the audience to to hear who's also on board and uh, carry the vision. Yeah, sure. So uh, my other co-founder is RJ Lon, who is the former co-founder and CTO of Harmony. Uh, Harmony is a layer one blockchain that was very popular, still very popular uh, for being one of the first to implement um, sharding. Um, well before, you know, Ethereum even kind of uh, had any proposals in place. Um, so RJ and I met a couple of years ago, you know, at a crypto conference. Uh, we stayed in touch mostly. And um, he, uh, Harmony Chain was also, or Harmony Project was also kind of like a sister project to Fedora. A lot of former Harmony contributors had kind of migrated over to Fendora at some point to act as contributors. And so um, there was a lot of uh, overlap with the validators. So both chains, you know, proof of uh, proof of stake. And uh, so there are a lot of the validator operators were, you know, um, both Harmony and, and Fendora validators. Uh, so we, we had a, um, a kind of a shared respect for, for each other's work. And, um, you know, plus I'd heard great things about him. Um, and so when he left Harmony and I left Fendora, I, was, I, I, I knew he was the top of my list of people I wanted to work with on whatever it was, you know, we're gonna, I was going to work on next. And so at some point I contacted him and, uh, and said, hey, I'm working on this, this restaking thing. Have you heard of it? And um, he was and he, he actually lives close to me here in the SF Bay Area. And so we met a bunch of times and, and decided that uh, we had really good synergies as co-founders, very minimal overlap, which if anyone's looking to start a company, make sure your co-founder or co-founders, you, uh, you have minimal overlap in, in your skill sets um, where you can focus on different things, not step on each other's shoes and, and really just like it's a shared ownership structure. Uh, so we felt really, you know, strong about that. And then most, you know, importantly, we had this shared vision, you know, for the future of restaking and, um, and we could come to agreement on that. Plus, we've also built, you know, a lot in, in the space over the last five to 10 years. So we're, you know, very production oriented team. Um, so to complement RJ and I and our skill set, we also wanted someone more who could kind of help us uh, solve problems from first principles. So RJ and I are very crypto native. We have been operating the space for many years. Um, this stuff kind of comes to us like very 
um, intuitively. Uh, we wanted someone to kind of help us think about, you know, how to solve these problems from unintuitive, you know, perspective. So we brought on uh, Raluca Arapopa, um, who is a professor at UC Berkeley um, in uh, computer science, cryptographer, and uh, security expert. Uh, she recently won the ACM Grace Murray Hopper Award, which is awarded to the top computer scientists under 35. Um, the, um, it's kind of whispered that they, they call this like the Baby Turing Award um, because it's like a kind of a, a pledge to the, to the younger computer scientist community. Um, and she's also uh, most recently the, the director of the Skylab at UC Berkeley. And if you're familiar with UC Berkeley, you know, it's a, every year it's a top three uh, program in computer science with Stanford and MIT. Uh, the one thing that Berkeley has that's a little bit different is every six years, the CS department creates a lab and they, you know, pursue you know, outside funding and grants and stuff through that. And they come up with a general thesis of, of the lab. And then each director uh, effectively has their own research kind of focus or module. So her focus for this lab for the next six years is actually going to be decentralized trust and security, which is highly relevant and, and complementary to the restaking um, category. Uh, so, you know, we um, basically identified that uh, as, as an interesting um, way to collaborate. Uh, had some, you know, a lot of discussions. And uh, at first, she was just going to be a advisor to the project. And I think the more she got involved, she, the more she was interested in the, you know, the um, uh, uh, eventual, like, uh, progression of, of, you know, restaking, you know, for as a solution to kind of this decentralized trust problem. So, uh, so she decided, you know, at some, at some point, Hey, uh, why don't we make this a, a co-founder, uh, thing? And, and we all agreed this was a good idea. So, so yes, we rounded out the team with, uh, an academic who also has a, uh, entrepreneurial track record of starting, uh, two different companies in the, in the, um, security system space. So she's also a builder. Um, so we're really happy to have her on the team as well. Yeah, wow. It's really a stellar team, yeah. <laughs> like the Avengers assemble. So it's it's yeah, you don't see it very often, yeah, in the web free space, yeah, that uh, you have let's say true researchers combined with experienced developers that uh, have a track record building uh, complex uh, and and large uh, structures and on top also have the business um capabilities yeah to scale solutions yeah because I, I remember for example harmony was was pretty big yeah in the last cycle i think they had uh, a couple of billions uh, dbl on on their chain yeah so it was was uh, really impressive yeah to see all those uh, big names yeah on your team and that's that's uh, something special yeah, in the web free space because the majority of people are are quite young and uh, try to bootstrap something, but uh, maybe have uh, some technical skills, but maybe uh, lacking some yeah, business experience. 
Yeah, I agree. And, and it's the, I think the rarity comes also in the fact that, you know, there's three co-founders and, and uh, each of us brings something completely different to the table. And uh, we have very little overlap in our skill sets. Um, so you mentioned the Avengers as an interesting analogy because, you know, when the Avengers fight the, you know, whoever, the villains, they, they team up and they can uh, use their strengths uh, you know, to, to defeat these villains. So I think ours are like the core problems of, you know, uh, of decentralized security in, in, in the crypto market. So um, I feel like we're, we've got a, you know, I'm passionate about team building. I think we've got a good one. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Talking, talking about your villains that you'll fight uh, with Exocore. Um, maybe some of our listeners uh, are not, um, aware of the restaking narrative at all. So maybe before we dive deeper, could you give us a, a high-level overview about restaking? What is it and why is there so much hype around it? Sure. Uh, so restaking is a, a fairly new uh, category that uh, was largely introduced by uh, Sriram Kanan, who's the founder of Eigenlayer. And, you know, I've been kind of following his research and some of the developments he's made with Eigenlayer. And um, restaking effectively is, introduces this new <coughs> crypto economic security model. <clears throat> when I say crypto economic security model, what I'm practically meaning is effectively uh, staking, right? So taking, um, you know, your existing uh, you know, assets or crypto assets and posting them as collateral um, uh, to secure uh, the layer one networks that, you know, verify transactions. And uh, what restaking is, you can think of it as almost, um, uh, if you're like a, a math person, but if you take something and square it, uh, you know, you're effect effectively replicating it, right? You're multiplying it by itself. So basically what's uh, restaking is, is taking that existing collateral that you posted usually locked up to secure the L1 networks, which are basically securing the, you know, tra uh, the transactions of the, the dApps or the decentralized applications. You're taking that same collateral as, and you're re-posting uh, it to secure this new or this growing class of, of uh, middleware services. And by doing that, obviously, when you post you know, as in a proof of stake blockchain, when you post your collateral, uh, you, you get rewarded in the form of yield, right? Um, and you're, you have to opt into, you know, also getting uh, subject to slashing. So if uh, the validator you are pledging to, um, you know, violates a protocol rule, it will get slashed and, and your funds will actually, you know, decrease. Um, so that's the downside risk. Uh, restaking is similar. You know, when you're pledging your collateral, you'll receive you know additional yield at the downside risk of you know subject to that collateral to to slashing conditions. So, but this time the 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 slashers are you know this, these middleware operators. So it's a new class of of uh, effectively software developers that are running you know nodes and and uh and 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 building services on top of those so basically that's what it is in a, in a form i think the reason why there's so much excitement around it i think it's it's one a timing thing 
uh, you know, it's bear market. It's not a lot going on. You know, I always tell people there's basically, you know, two uh, things in crypto that, that are always tried and true is um, things that you allow you to have fun and things allow you to have to make money. And in a bear market, um, there's not a lot of money to be made. Therefore, there's not a lot of fun to be had. So um, restaking is kind of a, an, a way for people to uh, enhance their, their yield uh, by securing, you know, th- these, this new class of, of middleware. So I feel like there's, there's a lot of interest in that <clears throat> because there's a chance to make more money. But it's also just um, the promises of of what this can do to the industry at large, and the you know what how it can extend a lot of the uh, development surface you know across these different chains. I think is really exciting. So I think people are leaning into that. Um, there's also just a track record of people following smart people. I think Shriram's you know brilliant brilliant guy. Um, and I think a, pe- a lot of people are kind of following, you know, his lead into into this novel new market. Um, in many ways, Exocore is, is, is as well, uh, although we're taking a fundamentally different kind of design approach. Um, but, yeah, we're really excited to be, you know, competing in the space. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we actually had Sriram Sh- on an AMA, I think it was uh, at the end of last year, was, was really inspiring yeah, to hear his vision and uh yeah so that was also the 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 first time yeah where we get in touch in uh, with the restaking narrative and uh, from that moment on yeah we understood this uh, is a, a very essential building block yeah for for the future of decentralization so i think most of our listeners have heard about uh yeah eigenlayer and they are building this, this restaking platform solely on Ethereum. So Exocore is an omni-chain restaking platform. So um, could you tell us more about the benefits of having a multi-chain pooled security versus the, the eigenlayer approach on a single chain? Yeah, so this kind of goes back to our bigger vision. Um, you know, so we have a vision that uh, I'll, I'll kind of walk back a little bit. So. One of the most important metrics that I view as uh, a definition of where we're at in the development of this technology in this market is the number of developers that are working in Web3 or crypto full time. And, you know, you can guesstimate that that number today is roughly around, call it 500 or sorry, call it 50 to 100,000 developers full-time um, working, meaning they're getting paid to work on this technology in some way, shape, or form every day. But if you look at Web2, the number of full-time developers working in Web2 is on the order of like 30, some even estimate now 40 million. So if you take those numbers and stack them, there's like a bar chart. The 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 uh, Web three number of developers is so small that that tells us and suggests to us that we are still very very early, and I say this having worked in crypto for over ten years, um, I, I still think the infrastructure, the technology, and the market is still really early, 
And so we start, if you can kind of consider that, then you think, well, why would a Web 2 developer come over to Web 3? What are the fundamental um, enticing reasons uh, that make Web 3 attractive? And really, at, at the end of the day, the, the primary difference is the ability for a developer to build and run permissionless, decentralized products, protocols, and, and services. And this is, you know, and, and through that, you, you inherit a lot of, uh, of, of interesting attributes like, you know, the ability to, um, to be, um, you know, uh, more battle-hardened, uh, the ability to be um, just like a, an unstoppable kind of a force in, in the ecosystem um, where you, you don't have to worry about being shut down. You don't have to worry about the rules of the platform or protocol changing overnight. Um, it's a, mostly open source, so you can inspect the code. These are all things that are like tried and true to, to the Web3 space. And uh, so we feel like if developers are going to come from Web2 to Web3, they're going to come because they can do this, you know, and build these decentralized services. So how would they do that? Um, so currently the status of, of, of building any decentralized service today, you know, it requires a lot of configuration. It requires a lot of uh, uh, bootstrapping, basically, where you're, you're putting the pieces together. We, you know, we, we compare it to, like, in Web 1, there was a time when you actually had to configure and build your own TCP IP network in order to have some type of, of product or service, even, you know, uh, we even start building it. And in, in web two, you know, there was a time when, you know, like Facebook early days, you actually had to uh, physically drive to a data center, you know, load your server racks, plug in the servers, connect them to, to the network and then, you know, connect the network to, to your own, um, you know, infrastructure. And that was not that long ago. And so I think the Web3 equivalent of that today is that if you want to run a decentralized service today, you have to do a few things. You have to issue a token. You have to create a validator set. You have to uh, build liquidity for that token. You have to increase the size of that validator set. You have to make sure there's tokenomics so that the token, you know, there's all these different things you have to do that actually mostly have no uh, relation to your product or service at all. So you could be building, you know, a, I don't know, a, a, an Oracle network, right? Where you're, you're primarily, you know, piping external data on chain and in a, in a verified process and, <laughs> but you you actually haven't done any of that work yet because you've had to do all this bootstrapping. So we we feel like Web three is in that in that state where there's there's just a lot of stuff that has to happen before developers can actually get started building you know what they want to build. But in Web two today, there's an experience where I can go log into my AWS console, spin up an instance and check a few boxes of where I want those instances deployed. And I pay the, the, the service and that's it. I'm done, I can start developing. It takes less than an hour, you know, and I'm not even a skilled engineer and I can do it, you know, in, in less than an hour, not, no problem. And that experience needs to, to be created for Web3. 
and it doesn't exist yet. So we're building the primitive of the marketplace. We're basically, we're building the protocol that will power a marketplace for decentralized trust, this open marketplace for decentralized trust. And what that means is that when a Web 2 developer comes to Web 3, they can simply choose, you know, uh, uh, set up their, 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 their account or their configuration um, and then start paying to effect, effectively inherit or rent this decentralized security and trust. And so they don't have to worry about the, all that bootstrapping. You know, they can push that out for later if they want to uh, issue a token or when they want to validate set or whatever, they want to build a community around that. They can do that, but they don't have to do it at step zero. They can do it at step 22. Um, so that we, we feel like that's the landing spot that are the entry point that Web 2 developers need to, to consider Web 3 seriously. Because I think a lot of people in Web 2 still think that Web 3 is just um, a bunch of casino developers, right? And, and no one's building anything serious. Because they see, hey, how do we get involved? It's like, well, you know, uh, a step zero, uh, issue a token. And, and that, that just isn't attractive to them. They don't want to issue a token. They just want to build something. So we feel like, you know, we want, we want to build towards that future. And, and that's kind of what's kind of bringing us, I think, into like how to do this. That's very powerful, yeah. So I, I love that vision, and yeah, I, I like the analogy, yeah, of of building your own, uh, yeah, data center first before you can uh, deploy your web page. So it's it's really early yeah, in the stage uh, that we are currently, and yeah, that that sounds really promising. Um, if it uh, if it if they let's say re uh, the the developer experience yeah is now in focus to make it easier to to bootstrap something new and yeah we also follow the the <clears throat> modular blockchain uh, concept uh, closely over the the past year and yeah i think the majority of founders uh, yeah have exactly the the problem yeah you mentioned to to build this entire ecosystem, yeah, and bootstrap the validator sets and everything else, yeah. So it's it's really a pain because they want to focus on building their protocol, yeah, and need to uh, invest uh, a lot of time and energy and also money, yeah, into into this, uh, yeah, environment, yeah, to to start working first, yeah. So uh, that's that's really interesting. Um, to, to yeah, attack this problem on the market. So uh, I'd, I'd like to touch a little bit uh, on the architecture of Exacore um, because uh, I think it's, it's uh, a quite complex approach yeah, going multi-chain. And uh, yeah, you secure with Exacore uh, many other protocols. So how is the security of the Exacore chain itself handled? Yeah, sure. So. Um... You know, it's 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 one. It's great to have um, a, a security expert on staff uh, on the team to help us think about uh, security design. Um, security design is something that is, um, is that the, at the architecture level. 
um, you know, what, how, how do you, you try to identify what the, the potential weaknesses are, um, you know, in, in a system, um, especially a system that's, you know, um, pretty extensive horizontally. So we, we basically took a few um, design, uh, design principles. One, we, we kind of, um, we understood generally, like, and, and at, a, at a very technical level, of like how the um, eigenlayer, you know, uh, platform works, um, and there were a few uh, design decisions that we we felt like we wanted that we could improve, right? Um, one is um, we wanted there to be um, a, an open governance um, system where you know the the a lot of the um, uh, consensus around certain state within the system, what could be, you know, decided upon by an open, you know, governance uh, process. Uh, so in order to do that, um, we wanted, we had to introduce um, a, a, basically a new trust assumption uh, by um, implementing a consensus mechanism. Uh, so uh, Exocore runs uh, Tendermint, uh, for consensus, and uh, this is 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 an interesting design choice because we inherit a lot of benefits from this, and one of them is that um, so exo or uh, restaking in general, you know, has the slashers on, on uh, that are basically able to uh, slash um, you know user assets in case you know anything. Um, uh, goes wrong. Um, and that can be thought of as like, obviously a downside and unintended slashing is, is, is a, uh, is a concern. So what ExoCore, uh, does is it acts as a, basically a, um, a, a, a buffer between the slashers and the L1 networks that ExoCore is deploying smart contracts on. So, uh, Vitalik has raised, you know, a lot of concerns around restaking generally uh, on how it can introduce, um, you know, unintended uh, um, consequences, um, uh, we're overriding social consensus at Ethereum. Basically, the headline, you know, is that he doesn't want a repeat of the DAO hack, which forced uh, a difficult decision uh, by the, the Ethereum community to uh, effectively roll back the chain. And, and um, this is, I think, still a, 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 a thorn in their side today. Uh, that was an unfortunate decision that had to be made um, uh, to save users money, uh, but that may have been regrettable because now it's, um, it has to kind of carry that with, with it for the future. Um, so the, the social consensus of, of, of ExoCore acts as a buffer uh, in that it kind of it can serve as an arbitrator between the slashers and the L1 chains uh, downstream. So this is uh, a benefit uh, that we don't have to rely so much on the L1 social consensus because Exocore has its own effectively a meta consensus that's uh, domain specific to uh, restaking. And what it primarily does is it maintains the uh, restaking operations of uh, across the different L1 
chains, uh, the smart contracts that are deployed on those chains. And the way it communicates with these L1 chains is through light client uh, ZK bridging. And uh, what, what it does is it will write in one direction to lock, unlock, or slash assets on the respective L1 chains that the smart contracts are deployed on. And then it will read um, the state you know, through the block headers of those uh, chains through, through uh, light clients. And uh, so we're, we've, we're pretty excited to be implementing this uh, using you know, ZK technology. This is something that wouldn't have been even feasible a year or two ago. So it's one of those uh, developments, I think, in the state of uh, the industry where you know, we're, we're empowered by um, the uh, efforts of, of, of a lot of uh, others working in ZK. I've been working in ZK for the, the past two years, so I guess I'm a part of that. Um, so, so we feel like um, across the board, um, we've addressed a lot of security issues. One, the L1 smart contracts that are deployed are very simple. They're very plain vanilla contracts. Um, they can be templatized. Uh, templatized. Uh, they can be easily audited. Uh, there's, no, there's no real complexity to them at all. Uh, they're pretty boring, which is great from a security perspective. Uh, that's because that's usually um, a level um, where a lot of, you know, it's a, basically a huge attack surface. So by simplifying that, we reduce attack surface. Uh, we address a lot of the risks of bridging by using, you know, new kind of uh, ZK uh, light client uh, bridging technology that helps, um, you know, with verification of the state of, of the bridges. Um, so we're, we're pretty, um, uh, we feel pretty good about that. Although we're all always like cautiously optimistic you know, with ZK, and um, but we do have uh, expert um, engineers on, on the on the team who are very very well versed with the uh, zero knowledge. And then lastly, you know, the security risks of implementing uh, a consensus mechanism. Uh, both RJ and I have implemented Tendermint before in different forms, and we're very familiar with the technology. It's very battle hardened. Um, it's tried and true. It's been around for a while. It's helping to secure, you know, dozens of, of networks. So we feel like that um, implementing uh, Tendermint consensus off the shelf is something that kind of addresses some of the risk uh, at the consensus level. So across the board, we feel pretty confident <coughs> that we've addressed a lot of the prim primary security risks <clears throat> that one would actually think of in, in a system like this. Um, and, you know, this is just, you know, stuff that we've, we've built before in various forms. And now we're just basically kind of stitching together using uh, a few new tools and tricks. And, uh, and, and we feel like we're, we're going to have a, a pretty good outcome. That being said, you know, we're constantly going to be, um, you know, uh, uh, um, utilizing uh, external independent auditors. Um, we'll be, you know, funding a, a very big bug bounty system to address any security issues. Um, you know, these are these are things that we, we care about a lot. Amazing, amazing. So, um, what uh, assets will you accept for collateral on Exocore? 
Uh, yeah, so we haven't announced or haven't um, like finalized uh, which L1 networks we're going to be supporting first. However, I could say kind of categorically, we support different types of restaked assets. One is the L1 native tokens. Uh, so uh, when we, you know, when a smart contract is deployed on a new L1, uh, we can uh, support the restaking through L1 native tokens. We can also support the liquid staking tokens. If the liquid staking, uh, if there's liquid staking uh, token market for that particular asset. And then um, also we're looking at supporting uh, some of the actual middleware uh, tokens themselves. So we feel like this is kind of an emerging research where you know, we can work to uh, help uh, some of these middleware services out uh, with, you know, uh, their crypto economic security, uh, also enhancing, you know, the yield of some of their validators and network operators. So those are the three assets that will, or categories of assets that will, that will support. Uh, we do plan in the kind of how we look at the, the state of, or the groupings of, of these L1 networks as we, we kind of divide them across uh, different pillars. There's obviously the EVM chains. Uh, there are the uh, Wasm, um, Rust chains, and then there are the Move chains. Um, and then there's kind of other kind of modular uh, chains that are being built with different VMs and different components as well. Um, so we're kind of looking at those four pillars. Um, we'll probably be start in implementation, um, most likely I think in the EVM chains, and then moving to the other categories of chains uh, as, we, as we grow. Great, great. Uh, do you see some risk uh, in terms of yeah, an overweight of a certain asset that, stay, that is staked? Uh, will you have some, some balancing measures in place? Um, not necessarily. So the, um, the, a big difference, and this kind of gets to you know, uh, differences between uh, Eigenlayer and Exocore, um, you know, we have a big, like I mentioned, that big vision around Web 2, uh, migrating to Web 3. Um, but part of that is, is taking a big bet on decentralization uh, to win and not necessarily on any single chain to win. So rather than extending just, you know, Ethereum for crypto economic security and extending that to other uh, protocols and networks, we really are focused on aggregating the decentralized security across different networks. And uh, that basically creates a compounding effect where for every new L1 that is added to the Exocore system, the strength of, and, and, and sec uh, of the security actually grows. So, you know, we, we plan on supporting, you know, different L1s. And as we, as we kind of add these, these L1 um, uh, networks, uh, this will increase the overall pool of, of the actual ExoCore system. So we don't necessarily get too concerned with one um, asset kind of overweighting. In fact, we, we expect that to happen. Uh, but what this is going to do is this is going to create an interesting market for decentralized security. And for instance, decentralized security of Ethereum may come at a premium to the decentralized security of Solana. You know, there's a trigger, trigger word there. 
and uh, or vice versa. Who knows, right? But we're not going to make a directional bet on either. Uh, we just want to support uh, both of those types of, of networks and then let the market choose, uh, you know, what the value of this crypto economic security is. And we feel like that's a, that's a good bet. Um, and what this does, this actually diversifies the asset pool. Uh, so this actually makes it a bit, uh, as you say, uh, from a risk perspective, um, more uh, risk adjusted, right? where the pool is more of an index um, and you can basically index on the decentralized security ac across many different chains and instead of any single chain. And so we think long-term that that is, is, uh, is, is a good macro bet. Um, and uh, we look forward to seeing how the market kind of shapes up. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. So uh, I've seen in the documents that projects with their own token have uh, the possibility to utilize Exocore with a dual staking approach. Uh, could you elaborate on, on this, how, how this works? Uh, yeah, what was the, I'm sorry, the, the last part it dropped. Uh, yeah, we've seen that uh, if a project has uh, its own token, they can uh, utilize a dual restaking. Oh, dual, yes, and, yeah, yes. Yeah, so yeah. That, so that would be interesting um, if you could explain how this works. Yeah, so so this is this is uh, ongoing research. Uh, obviously, we haven't figured it all out yet. But the basic idea is that um, you know, take the analogy again that I use is think of these middleware uh, services. They're on like an they're basically an archipelago uh, of, of of different islands that are basically just sitting off of a, uh, a, a continental, you know, uh, country, right. That is kind of has, has effectively mainland and they're kind of out there and they have to fend for themselves. They have their own currencies. They have to, um, you know, fund their own, um, uh, militaries, uh, you know, and, and, but they're, they're kind of part of this like economic zone where they're, there's, they're sort of a part of this, other big country, but they're, they're sort of not. Um, so kind of using that analogy, um, we want to effectively create a, um, um, a collective of these middleware services um, that can help secure each other um, where, you know, they're not alone and they're not, uh, and they're not only reliant on that particular country for security. Um, so there's a bit of like, you know, an alliance that can be made across these different middleware services where uh, they benefit from the shared pooled security of Exocore um, as and, and can benefit not just from the security perspective, but their tokenomics, if they have a token, can benefit as well. So uh, not to be like too high level, but that's generally how we're thinking about this. And we think that there's a lot of interesting Kind of components and, and 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 things that we can build to you know for middleware services to help them benefit not just from the secure uh, the crypto economic security perspective but also from the the uh, the tokenomics perspe perspective and uh, and we, we feel like you know that, that we can we can kind of help to do that um, also by kind of leveraging some of the 
um, the crypto economic security, obviously, of these of, of these layer one networks. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot. Like I said, it's it's pending research, um, and we're having uh, some very, I guess, gigabrain discussions. Is usually myself just listening to the gigabrains discuss this and uh, trying to uh, to decipher what the the, the best uh, way forward is. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Great to hear that you uh, also involved into cutting edge research in in this field. Yeah. Um, talking about uh, security, um, unfortunately, we have yeah many bad actors yeah in the web free space, and um, this is always a concern. Uh, do you have any measures in place to prevent uh, that? Let's say bad actors deploying something on your protocol or is it impossible to to filter such things um i would say it's always a a, a difficult challenge to prevent um you know malicious actors from being malicious <laughs> um but you can <clears throat> one make it very hard to make it very costly or three um just make it um um, undesirable to, to, to do. It's probably a combination of the two. Um, so a few things that we've, we've thought about. Uh, one, obviously, we're, we're actively, you know, um, working on developing some, uh, you know, bug bounties so that we ensure that if someone has uh, found a vulnerability, instead of exploiting it, they can responsibly disclose it and uh, we will handsomely pay them. Um, and uh, they, the risk reward there is uh, is that they get a guaranteed uh, payout for discovering and disclosing to us um, or, or to any of the developers working uh, on, on the system rather than exploiting it, uh, which, you know, they may get caught. Um, so uh, there's always that. Uh, two, um, we have uh, entertained the idea. So the restaking is fundamentally a two-sided marketplace. Uh, you have... Stakers on restakers on one side who are pledging the crypto economic security through, you know, uh, the restaked assets, and then you have middleware services on the other side who are paying the fees, uh, you know, to consume that crypto you know, crypto economic security. So you have this flywheel, and um, part of those fees uh, you can actually potentially uh, divert a percentage to some type of SAFU fund, right? Which almost serves as like a um, form of, of, you know, I, I hate using TradFi language because it usually never translates perfectly, but some form of like bonded insurance that, uh, you know, this, this fund can be uh, run by a DAO. Uh, there's a lot of interesting insurance uh, type DAOs uh, out there that could be interested in, in running this where uh, the, the fund goes to um, effectively pay, uh, potentially paying out any um, uh, either bounties or uh, paying out uh, for you know actual damages of theft or loss um, through through hacking. Um, so we feel like this is like a, a very interesting thing that that uh, that the the market can actually kind of create, um, and it could be completely decentralized, uh, run by you know community, DAO community, um, and and even people that are actively working on this. I think is is, is very interesting. We'd love. To, uh, to hear from more people and, and should work on that. So it's, you know, because RJ and I have been in this space a long time, it's not usually a question of if something gets hacked. It's more of a question of when. And the when is like how you have to just be prepared 
for what the reaction is, what the response is, be very clear with communication. I mean, the the best and worst of projects in the space have, have all been um, hacked in some way, shape or form. But it's how they responded, what they did next was really what defined them. And so we want to make sure that we, you know, Exocore is prepared for uh, when something like that does happen and that uh, the system can kind of self-heal, uh, the community can be supported, secured, and, uh, and everyone can feel kind of confident in moving forward. So we, we kind of take a mature approach to this. Um, this is also things, again, goes back to, you know, us thinking about security every day. Um, it's, it's really kind of, a, a, I guess, on-the-job training that uh, we received from so, uh, so many years working in the space. That's, that's awesome, yeah. Thank you, thank you. So um, what are some of the middleware services that you personally would like to see on Exocore in the future? Um, let's see. I mean, RJ and I get a bit nostalgic about this, but uh, one of the middleware um, kind of categories that we have um, it's kind, of, it's kind of followed us, I guess, everywhere we go, is um, the RPC infrastructure um, uh, category. Uh, these are basically we call them the Achilles heel of the uh, of the Web three space. Uh, this is like these are the um, the the, no, the nodes that are running where you connect to to establish connection to the underlying networks. Um, when they go down, um, the the network. Uh, feels like it's effectively down. And uh, so they're critically important. Uh, they're usually maintained by uh, the foundations um, or, or kind of larger like centralized um, entities. So recently there's been a big push to decentralize these RPC infrastructure providers. And uh, we feel like there's a, a really good overlap between the uh, decentralized RPC infrastructure providers and uh, the restaking through crypt, uh, crypto security. So um, this is, I think, just based on our experience, you know, in the space, this is one of the categories we, we can empathize with the most. Um, we also, I think, can also empathize with uh, a lot of the token bridges. Um, we've, you know, been there, done that. Uh, it hurts. It's painful. Um, you know, there are some implementations that are, um, you know, it seems like that are working really well. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, poof, I mean, what happened to multi-chain? Uh, this is an unfortunate, um, hopefully, uh, occurrence that, that will no longer happen, you know, in the future. Um, restaking can help to secure, um, you know, some of these, these, these token bridges. And uh, really last one is like uh, a lot of the messaging layers. So, you know, this is a, a kind of analogous to the token bridges, but kind of similar, um, uh, similar use case where you have uh, cross-chain messaging that's gradually, you know, increasing as the multi-chain world is kind of forming. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, ways that, that restaking can kind of help. So um, I don't necessarily have a favorite. It's like uh, asking who, who your favorite child is. Um, I like them all. But there are ones I identify, I think Arjun and I identify with most based on our experience. And, um, you know, we've, we've implemented many of these types of middleware services and, and built in and maintained them. So 
we we feel, feel like we have a pretty good handle of the problem set. Um, it's just you know coming up with a solution that makes sense, you know, for them. Uh, brilliant, brilliant, yeah. So maybe uh, go a little bit um, into the more business development area. Um, who are your your focus customers who, that you want to attract with the with the platform? And um, what are the, the current milestones that are ahead? Yeah, sure. So um, as I mentioned before, you know, restaking is a two-sided marketplace where you have restakers on one side and middleware, middleware services on the other. So we kind of divide the, uh, <coughs> the um, um, uh, we call it the exosystem, the exosystem into, into two. On the um, on the the restaking side, we or the supply side, um, we have we call these partners. So partners are um, can be staking staking platforms that are interested in supporting restaking. They can be the L1 ecosystems themselves. They can be the liquid staking uh, platforms that are supporting liquid staking or formerly known as liquid staking derivatives. Um, and, uh, and then also the validators that are actually, you know, running a lot of the, the infrastructure we feel is, is also a component there. Um, and then on the other side, which we, we call the demand side, those are classically, you know, the customers and why they're the customers is because they're the ones that are effectively paying the fees, you know, to, to run the system. And on this side, you know, we, we identify, with these different middleware verticals, like I mentioned before, uh, token bridges, um, messaging layers, RPC infrastructure providers, Oracle networks, and this kind of grow new growing kind of community of modular components, uh, which includes you know VMs and consensus mechanisms and data availability and all that kind of stuff. So um, from a kind of a, business development, um, partnership, kind of customer outreach, we're kind of splitting the, uh, that in the two. Uh, to date, we've mostly been focused on you know, talking to a lot of the, on the supply side, uh, making sure that there's sufficient, there's going to be sufficient demand of, of restaked assets, you know, on ExoCore that contribute to the crypto economic security of the, of the, you know, of the pool. And then, um, we're starting to uh, ramp up more on the demand side to kind of talk to more of these types of middleware services in these different verticals. Um, you know, you asked before, like what our favorites are. Um, I think it's, uh, we, we have a really good time having these conversations, you know, with, with these people building these things. Cause it's very hard when you're building something for people to really understand what you're building. Um, but when you get on a phone call with someone and you really understand truly, not only that, but because you've done it before, uh, that, that's just like a certain type of uh, magic that happens on these calls. And so, uh, so RJ and I take that into every call. We're very uh, passionate about what you call like founder sales. You know, we're right now, you know, I'm kind of serving as like the point person for all partnership um, and kind of customer development. And I bring RJ into into a lot of the calls too to you know advocate for the the technology. So uh, we're we're tag teaming on this, 
Uh, we'll do this for as long as we can. We have um, basically the entire team is all engineering uh, with Reluca leading research. And then um, uh, we'll do this until we, we can no longer uh, scale ourselves and then eventually bring on more uh, people to kind of help with uh, the partnership and outreach. So, uh, but yeah, in the meantime, we're having a great time. I love the, love the vision, yeah, and the approach, yeah. That, that's uh, true, uh, yeah, leadership, and <clears throat> I think that's the best way, yeah, to bootstrap the project. So um, I see we are already crossing the one-hour mark, so I want to be respectful of your time. Um, so I think maybe we could wrap things up, uh, maybe one or two more questions, if, if this is okay for you. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Um, one thing I want to I want to touch on is uh, yeah, actually, uh, Bitcoin got a little bit more attention now through the ETF uh, announcements. Yeah, um, and many projects try to access this yeah, unused liquidity yeah, for for other applications. Yeah, and I think this could be also interesting for Exocore. Do you have? Anything in mind for the future to, to connect Exocore to Bitcoin? Uh, we do. Um, this, is, this is very early research, um, but uh, the, the, the nice thing about being, uh, having an omni-chain design uh, from really the core up is the ability to support any network, um, and include, including Bitcoin. Um, I'm a Bitcoiner not just at heart, but this is like my, I, I owe, you know, Bitcoin for getting me into the space and spent many good years of my life uh, working, you know, on top of the technology. So um, it makes a lot of sense, I think, you know, to, to uh, put some effort into uh, investigating how to extend um, Bitcoin crypto economic security. Um, <clears throat> so, um, with our approach also, we don't, uh, because Exocore restaking is, is a form of external uh, val validation, providing external valida uh, validation services to, to some of these uh, middleware. Uh, we don't necessarily need permission from, or in Exocore doesn't need permission from the layer one networks to effectively support it. Um, and, and that allows us to, to move a, a little bit, uh, be a little more nimble and, and, and quicker in, in how we take that approach. But uh, yeah, there is some uh, growing threads on how we could uh, uh, support Bitcoin and uh, we'll have, I'm sure, updates in the future. Very exciting, very exciting, yeah. <laughs> so what, what are the, the next exciting milestones on, on your roadmap? Um, so some big milestones that we have. Uh, so we, we have been uh, basically crawling out of uh, stealth mode. Um, we recently, uh, last week, launched uh, um, a, a public-facing website at exocore.network. Um, next big milestone, we actually are going to be publishing a formal technical white paper. Uh, on the website now, there's some, you know, Kind of more high-level documentation, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll be uh, publishing a, a more formal uh, technical white paper that covers the uh, you know Xcore protocol 
uh, at a much deeper level and introduces some novel concepts that we feel like will improve the state of the art of, of restaking. Um, and then uh, by the end of this year, we anticipate launching Testnet um, and uh, we'll su be supporting um, at least a couple networks um, and we'll be making uh, announcements on what networks those are. Um, and then we look forward to uh, mainnet launch by, you know, first half of 2024. So we've got a busy next several months ahead of us. Uh, you know, RJ and I have been doing shipping into uh, shipping production networks now for you know a long time. So uh, we feel like we're we make an estimation. We we're pretty accurate uh, on on hitting it. Um, I, I always say, you know. Uh, building these these projects is like a, a barn raising, which is a very much a community effort. It requires, you know, the validators. It requires, you know, the uh, obviously developers, uh, security researchers, uh, obviously the community of restakers. I mean, it's really it's there's really nothing like it. Um, it makes makes shipping software and web two boring. Uh, this every time I think uh, a new network is is deployed, it's it's uh, it should be a very celebrated thing, and and if if everything goes right, then you probably did it wrong. <laughs> uh, there's always something that that goes wrong. Uh, I think even with the Chappelle upgrade, there was a few things that went wrong. But uh, you know, it, you basically want most of it to go, to go right. Uh, so anyway, we're excited to to be back at it again. You know, and, and shipping in production, and uh, look forward to to hitting those milestones. Yeah, exciting times ahead. Yeah, <laughs> amazing, Definitely. amazing. Yeah. So, did we miss anything important uh, that you want to touch on before we wrap up? Um, I think we covered a lot. <laughs> I, I can't think of anything else that that uh, we haven't thought of um, that that would be too important. Although, uh, yeah. I think, I think it's pretty good coverage. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate all the insights you provided today to our audience, and thank you very much yeah, for joining in and your time. And we've learned a lot yeah, about restaking in general. Yeah. So it was a, a very interesting trip into this restaking universe. And yeah, I wish you and the entire Exocore team yeah, a great start yeah, for the project. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, feel free to follow us at Exocore Network. Uh, we haven't tweeted anything or had any presence, uh, but we will be uh, making a lot more effort on that very soon. So, Great, great. Yeah, so also to the audience, yeah, please uh, like and retweet this uh, Twitter space or X space, yeah. <laughs> It's always <laughs> hard yeah, for me to, to get used to it. Um, yeah, to spread the word about this project. Yeah, I think it's it's really something important yeah, for the entire uh, decentralized ecosystem. And yeah, I, I would love to have you again on another AMA in future Yeah, to talk about uh, updates and uh, new developments in the Exocore ecosystem. That'd be great. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I really appreciate all the support, you know, and and you know, it's great to have, uh, um, you know, a fund that's so research focused and uh, so active, you know, in in helping uh, with 
uh, pretty much everything. So it's great, uh, great to have you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much, Gordon. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. And yeah, I have um, also a, a surprise for the audience. So we will post a new podcast on our YouTube channel, I think, uh, in, a, in a moment, or we already posted it. Um, it's a podcast uh, with Sean. And uh, yeah, please check this also out and wait for the announcement or go to our YouTube channel uh, to see the new video. So thank you very much for joining in today. It was a pleasure hosting this AMA for you and I hope to see you again next time. Bye-bye. This recording has been prepared and made available by VVV. It is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or products. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future price of any instrument mentioned in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers and employees, does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of this information as it may change in the future without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not based on the information and opinions provided by VVV.